Romans 5, 9, the Bible says, Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And we'll stop reading right there. I'm going to title our message tonight, our lesson tonight, uh, Assurances of Our Salvation. Assurances. There are a few, a couple assurances that I want to point out to you in this text of our salvation. And I'll show you why this text gives us some here in just a moment. But let's stop and pray and ask God to help us as we look uh, in His perfect Word. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. We're thankful for this opportunity we have to gather together tonight. And Lord, I'm thankful as the girls just uh, sung about, Lord, this, uh, this world's not our home. Lord, we're just passing through. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that thought, that truth, uh, that reality, Lord, gives me much joy, fills my heart with hope, and uh, dispels all misery, Lord, that we have hope beyond this life. And Lord, we're thankful for that. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be good pilgrims, be good sojourners, good travelers, good strangers. Lord, represent our, uh, represent our Lord uh, well while we're in this, in this world. God, help us as we come to this text, illuminate our hearts and minds to what's already been revealed in the Holy Scripture. I pray that you touch me, fill me with the Spirit of God. Use me this evening in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Well, how many of you know what it's like, and don't raise your hand, but how many of you know what it's like to have a car or something like that repossessed? Has anybody ever been through that? You don't have to raise your hand. Just think about it in your mind. Maybe you know somebody that does. I've never had a car repossessed. I've had some church members repossessed before, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. But I've never, I've never had a car repossessed or anything else. I, you can, I guess you can get all kind of things repossessed. You can finance everything, you know, toasters and, and microwaves and couches and TVs and all kind of stuff. So I guess if you don't make your payments, I guess they take those things. But uh, I, I would imagine that would, be, that would be tough to get up in the middle of the night or early in the morning and find somebody pulling away a vehicle that, uh, that you picked out and you like and you've been trying to pay for. But repossession is when uh, you fail to hold up your end of the bargain. You don't hold up your end of the deal. And so they take back what they had once given to you. And you failed on your end of the contract. You failed on your end of the agreement. And so they take back what they had previously uh, given you. Aren't you glad salvation is nothing like that? Because if salvation was like that, we would get, re we'd get our salvation repoed all the time. Because I don't know about you, but I do not always hold up my end of this thing. And uh, I don't know what you promised God when you got saved. 
I don't know what you thought that you'd be when you got saved, when you called out on God for salvation, but none of us go into this thing thinking, well, we're going to be some failure. We think, Lord, if you'll save me, if you'll help me, if you'll touch me, Lord, I'll follow you, I'll trust in you, whatever. But man, my faith has grown weak and I've uh, had many failures and and, uh, my flesh has uh, won the battle many times, but I'm so thankful that in the middle of the night he's never come calling, amen, and come took his salvation back and said, well, until you can learn to behave, until you can get caught up on your Bible reading, until you can get caught up on your church attendance, until you can get caught up on your prayer life, I'm going to hold this for a little while. I'm glad God's not like that. Amen. I'm glad when He gives salvation, He gives it eternally. It is an eternal salvation. God is the author of eternal salvation. And I'm glad we are constantly secure in Him. And what a blessing that is to know that, that, uh, that we'll never have our salvation taken from us, our position in Christ, our our access, uh, all these things that we have. And that's exactly what we've been talking about in Romans 5. You remember that we pointed out several things that we have as a result of justification by faith. We have peace with God. We, We have access into grace. We have a hope of glory. Aren't you glad those things have never, they never get taken back. Uh, your peace with God. Now, sometimes we don't always feel the peace of God ruling and reigning in our heart. But that peace with God, that position that we have with Him no longer at war, that never gets reversed, that never gets changed. That access that we have into grace, we never get denied the grace of God because uh, because uh, we failed to meet some kind of expectation or meet some quota or something like that. Didn't check all the boxes off on being a good Christian. I'm thankful that we don't have access or we don't have access denied into this grace. I'm glad our hope is never taken from us. Sometimes we feel like it, but yet in reality, our hope is always sure. It is always steadfast. In fact, God has promised that He would get us from the from the start line all the way to the finish line. He would preserve us. He would protect us. He would secure us. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about eternal salvation. The good news is, is that those things, peace with God, access into grace, and the hope of glory, those things cannot be taken away. That's what he told the church at Philippi, right? Remember he said, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He He ain't going anywhere. He's going to keep on working on you. And the work that he started when you were justified, he's going to finish when you are glorified. And he's going to be there every step of the way. That's good news, y'all. Amen. That's really good news. And this finish line, this glorification, perfection, these glorified bodies and being saved from the very presence of sin one day, that's what Paul has in mind when he pins of these verses that we just read. Let me show you that. There's a little phrase that pops up. It's in verse 9 and it's in verse 10. Notice what he said. Much more than being now justified by His blood. Now here it is. You ready? We shall be saved. Now it's again in verse number 10. Do you see that? Again in verse number 10. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved. Of course, you know this. I've mentioned it many times, but salvation can be understood in three tenses, right? Past tense, I have been saved. Present tense, I am being saved. Future tense, I shall be saved. That's what he's talking about right here. We shall be saved. 
Uh, past tense, that's justification, being made right in the sight of God, immediately declared holy, declared righteous. I am being saved, that's sanctification. Uh, uh, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and He is working on me and He's conforming me into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification, making me more like Jesus. He's saving me from the power of sin and the practice of sin in my life. There's a sanctification process going on. And then there is the future tense. I shall be saved. That's glorification, right? That's when this process is complete. And we shall be like Him. Amen. That's going to be great. That's going to be the greatest part of being in glory one day. It's not just being with Him, but it's going to be being like Him. I don't know about you, but I'm about sick and tired of this flesh. About sick and tired of this world. One of the greatest things about heaven, it's not going to be the street of gold. It's not going to be gates of pearl. It's not going to be all the sights and the splendors and, and the reunion. All that. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. No doubt. I'm not downplaying it at all. But one of the greatest things about heaven is no more sin. Amen. And if you're saved, you know what it's like to be sick of sin and sick of yourself and sick of the devil. Amen. Thank God I'm looking forward to that future salvation. Now, we all, we, a lot of times we, we, we sing about and we thank God for, and when we say something about being saved or salvation, we think about that, that, that glorious night, you know, that we sing about that blessed, glorious night. We sing about justification, and rightly so. But salvation, your salvation is not finished yet. There's good news on the horizon, and that is this. We shall be saved. We shall be saved. There is future salvation that is glorification for us. Romans 8, 30, you could read it, where, and I went to it the other day, where it talks about those that have been justified. They're glorified. They're just as, we're just as much as we're already there. We're just as good as there already. Paul said we're seated with Christ in heavenly Places were already there. Remember that past tense, that ed. You put, when you put ed on the end of that word, that means it's done. The job is done. Amen. When ed shows up, the work is over. Amen, Brother Ed. Say amen right there. It's already done. Ed shows up when, when, it's, when there's nothing else to do, when it's already done. Amen. Glorify ed. It's already done. It's already taken place. We're sanctify ed. And, and we've been save ed. Amen. So, but... Our glorification's future, but in, in the mind of God, it's 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 just as secure. It's so secure, it's already happened. Which simply means means God saved us, and He's going to pick us up and carry us all the way across the finish line. And it's just as good as already completed, already done. It is so secure, so safe. He's not going to drop you anywhere in between. Think of the day that you got saved and imagine the day that you're going to go to heaven and get your glorified body and just know all that whole space in between, though it's full of failures and heartaches and sorrows and ups and downs and mountains and valleys, know this, that God is carrying you every step of the way and He will not drop you along the way. Amen. That's what they thought. Remember they were at school, the prophets, they thought they dropped Elijah somewhere. You remember that? Elisha saw him go up in the whirlwind and the chariot of fire and all that. And, the, and them other preacher boys, they thought, well, you know, we, we got to go looking for Elijah. And Elisha I'm pretty sure he went all the way up. I'm pretty sure he got all the way up. No, God dropped him somewhere. Listen, God ain't going to drop you somewhere. Amen. When he picks you up, he's going to carry you all the way. Amen. That's glorification. That's we shall be saved. This is a certain thing. Nothing. When we get Romans, I can't wait till we get Romans 8. It's going to be so good. It'll be, you know, probably after my daughter's wedding or something, I'm sure. But once we get to Romans 8, man, we're glorified. And then we get into that, that nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. 
There's 17 things mentioned there. 17 is the number of victory in the Bible. 17 things that cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Isn't that amazing? And uh, you can't be separate. These, I, I, I know I'm trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be funny. But, man, these people believe you can lose your salvation. Man, I just I don't see it. I don't get it. I don't understand. I mean, they're crazy. How in the world? How in the world could something that secure, when it's not dependent upon you anyway, that secure? How in the world could you lose it? We shall be saved. Assurances of our salvation. What are we going to be saved from in the future? Before I get to the assurances, we got to deal with this in verse number nine. It says, We shall be saved. Look at here, verse nine. From wrath. From wrath. That's what we're going to be saved from. Don't you understand? This is a future day when God is pouring out his judgment and pouring out his wrath on the world. His holy indignation will be poured out on unbelievers. Listen, we're saved from that. Simply put, we're not going to hell. We won't spend one millisecond in the lake of fire. Thank God. I'm glad I'm saved from wrath. Paul put it like this to the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5. He said, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. You know why I'm not going to hell? It's because I don't have an appointment to be there. Amen. It got canceled when I got saved. Amen. God made me a new appointment instead, and it's to obtain salvation. Glorification. I got an appointment with a heavenly body. I got an appointment with a glorified mind and a glorified body and a glorified vocabulary. I got an appointment uh, to stand around the throne of God and to raise my hands and say, Glory to the Lamb. Amen. That's my appointment. It was supposed to be in hell. Amen. I wasn't even supposed to be here tonight. I was supposed to be in hell. But thank God He changed the appointment. Amen. Amen. Change the track. I was on a track headed one way, and it's just like, you know, when they change them tracks over, I ain't going that way anymore. Amen. Thank God for it. And the truth is, that appointment had to be kept, but Jesus, He met it for me. He took it for me. I was supposed to show up and, and, and get divine judgment, but Jesus took it on Calvary. Amen. Thank God. Thank God for that. So we're talking about our future salvation. Our future is secure. We shall be saved. From what? From the wrath of God. From the wrath of God, through Him, through Jesus. What assurances do we have of this? How can we be sure? I mean, it's, it's good to say it, but we, we, we got to know. It's good to talk about all the stuff you have, right? I have peace, I have hope, I have joy, I have... But if you can't keep it, wouldn't that, wouldn't that bother you? If you don't believe in eternal salvation, how do you, how do you sleep at night? How do you, how, how do you sleep at night? How do, you have, how do you have joy in your heart? When we talk about, sing about being saved, how do you sing, hey, I glory, glory, I'm saved. How do you sing that when you're not sure? I'm glad we can sing it with security and settledness in our heart. There's two arguments. And that's one I don't have point one, point two, point three. I just got two arguments, okay? So uh, there's two arguments that Paul makes. They're logical arguments as to why our salvation is secured, why our future is settled, and they're they, they're centered around and based upon another little phrase that you find twice in our text, and it's a little phrase underlined this much more. Do you see that? It's in verse number nine. It's the first two words: much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Much more, and then it's again in verse number ten, about midway through the verse: much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And it built on those two phrases right there, much more 
Paul gives two arguments, logical arguments. That's why I love, I love studying Paul. Peter's kind of all over the place when you read Peter. He's like a spider web, just all over the place. Paul is like a lawyer. He makes a case and he gives logical arguments. There's usually a, usually a good flow that goes to it. And so I love, I love outlining the Apostle Paul. It just works so well. And so he gives these logical arguments. And it's a, it's a classic argument that anybody would use of the lesser to the greater. The lesser to the greater. If the, it's like this kind of an if-then statement. If the lesser is true, then the greater is true. Uh, if the lesser is true, then the greater would most certainly be true. Kind of like this. I'll illustrate it before we get going here with these two arguments. But it's almost like uh, if, if you would agree to cut somebody's yard, to mow somebody's yard, if you would agree to do it for $10, okay? <laughs> if you would agree to do it for $10, then would you certainly do it for $100? Right? That's the lesser of the, art, the, lesser of the greater. If you would do it for 10 then you would certainly do it for a hundred, right? If you would do it for this much down here, then you would certainly do it for that much up here. Okay, you wouldn't turn that down. So if this is true, if the lesser is true, then the greater must be true as well. And that's how Paul builds these arguments right here. So here's how we're going to do this. Argument number one. Let's look at that. Brother Garrett, throw that up there. Argument number one. Here's argument number one. If he loves his enemies, he will not forsake his family. If he loves his enemies, then he will not forsake his family. Because you've got to go back up into verse number 8. So let's get that. We love this verse. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you've got, got to get that first. Before our salvation, before we were saved, who were we to God? We were sinners. In his sight. Well, you can go back in the text. We looked at it last week. We were ungodly in his sight. We're categorized as without strength. And then verse number 10 in our text tonight tells us that we were enemies. And so we were enemies. We were without strength. We were, with, uh, uh, we were ungodly. And we were sinners. We were in the sinners category. And even in that category, being ungodly and being sinners, what did Jesus do for us? He died for you. He gave His life. He commended... And by the way, verse number 8, look at it real good. It doesn't say God commended His love. That's past tense. It says God commendeth His love. That means the fact that Jesus died on a cross for you, though it was 2,000 years ago, it's still setting forth His love. It's still pushing the fact in your face, an undeniable proof that you cannot get around. He loves you. He died for you. That love is still being commended to you. Commendeth. Thank God for my King James Bible. Amen. I like that. I like them F's in there. That means it's ongoing. It just continues. It just keeps on going. He commendeth His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But now look at our position now. This is what's highlighted in verse number 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood. So what was I before? I was without strength. I was ungodly. I was in the sinner category. I was an enemy. What am I now? I am justified. That means to be declared holy, but to be declared righteous, to be declared a right, a right standing in the sight of God. So I used to be, before I was saved, I used to be in this category, ungodly, sinner, wicked, 
enemy of God. But when I got saved, He put me over here in this category, holy, righteous. I'm in His family now. Now I have a seat at His table. I'm no longer an enemy, but now I am family. Verse 10 says that we have been reconciled to God. That word reconciled, it just simply means to be returned to favor. When Adam sinned in the garden, we fell out of favor with God, enemies of God, at war with God. But when He justified us, guess what happened? Now we have been reconciled. Two parties that were at odds, now we've come together and I have returned back into, as being a human being, I have returned back into the good graces of God in the favor of God. Reconciled. Right standing with God. How did this happen? What is the basis for this? It's the blood, right? Justified, verse 9, by His blood. His blood does that for us. Jesus dying on the cross. When Jesus shed His blood for us, uh, we were reconciled to God. Now, now here's the thing. Here's what you got to realize. All right, to get When did Jesus die for you? Verse 8 has the answer. While we were what? Yet sinners. So while, listen, and that's the whole argument of the verses before that we looked at last week. Who would die for a righteous man? Who would die for a good man? That's from a human point of view, relatively speaking, not righteous and good in the way that God would use it positionally, but somebody that we would consider a good man, a righteous man. Now, you, you would have a hard time getting somebody to die for anybody, especially a good man. But who would die for a wicked, awful, dirty, rotten sinner? Who, who, would, who would take the place of a, of a serial killer that's about to... Set in the electric chair. Who would swap places with him? Nobody. He's wicked. He's off. He deserves what he's getting. But Jesus did. Jesus stepped in and said, I'll die for that one while he's yet a sinner. So here's the argument. Listen, when did Jesus die for us? He died for us while we were yet sinners. So listen, if he loved us enough to die for us, when we were in this wicked category, then don't you think, uh, don't you think that He loves us enough to keep us saved now that we're in this category over here? If He loved us enough, if He loved us so much that He died for us while we were sinners, what could we do? What possibly, what, what sin could we commit that would cause us to miss out on glorification now that we have been made His family? If He would do that for sinners, what would He do for family? He's going to keep you saved. Isn't that a blessing? It's the lesser to the greater. If you would do that for somebody down here, there's no telling what you would do for somebody up here. And that's in Romans 8 as well. Paul uses that argument. If he gave us his son, won't he give us the things that we need? The, so lesser, if he, if the greater to the lesser argument. If he gave you the best thing ever, wouldn't he give you anything else you need? Paul uses that. If he loves us enough to justify us while we were sinners, what could we do to miss out on glorification now that we've been made his family? If my son, who's not driving age yet, and he won't be for 20 years or so, I guess, I don't know. But... If my son were driving and he was driving down the road, I'm out of town preaching or gambling or something, and I'm out of town, and maybe I just went to buy milk and I never came back. I don't know, but I'm not in the picture for some reason that day. He's driving down the road, and he gets a flat tire. And I'm not around to help him out. 
So he picks up the phone, his phone, and he calls Brother Gary Hill. He says, Brother Gary, I'm around the corner from the church. I got a flat tire. Would you come help me out? Now, listen, I know if Brother Gary's in a place where he could, I know what he'll do. He'll go get up there, go over and help Wes change his, change his tire. I believe that with all my heart. But let me ask you a question. If we know, if, if Brother Gary did that, he changed a flat tire for Wes, couldn't we say with all certainty, I mean, like, with like being like 100% sure that if Garrett were to have a flat tire, that Brother Gary would drop everything that he's doing and go over there and help him with his tire? We could say, we don't even have to, it doesn't even have to actually happen. We know, we are sure that it would happen. Why? If Gary Hill would do that for my son, why wouldn't he do it for his son? If he would do it for somebody that don't even belong to him, then of course he would do it for somebody that is his own flesh and blood that he loves more than anything. And that is the argument that Paul is given. If he would die for sinners, if he would die for ungodly, what could we do to fall out of his graces now that we're family? He will not forsake us. If he dies for enemies, he will not forsake his family. If he's the kind of God that dies for the wicked and the ungodly, then he's the kind of God that will restore family and those that are in his, in his family. Does that make sense? That's assurance of salvation right there. Doesn't that make you feel good? Doesn't that, make, doesn't that, doesn't that, make, doesn't that give you some peace in your heart to know that he's not going to throw you out? He's not going to cast you out? You're family now. If he would do that for sinners, he showed up. He's going to save you in the mess you were in. He's definitely going to take care of you now that you're justified by his blood. Argument number two. Argument one is, if he loves his enemies, then he'll not forsake his family. Argument number two that Paul gives is this. If he died for our salvation, then he will live for our salvation. And that was what the text says. For if, when we were... Enemies, I'm in verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Here's the much more. Much more. So we went from the lesser, now we're going to the greater. Being reconciled, and that's our position. We are reconciled to God. We shall be saved by His life. So if we were reconciled in justification by His death, He, Paul much more. He kicks this thing up a notch and he says, then much more we shall be saved by his life. Here's what Paul is saying right here. Jesus was willing to die and shed his blood to secure our justification, to save us. And so now that he's alive, and thank God he's alive, amen. I'm glad he died, but he got up. And by the way, it's a good thing he got up, not just so we have something to shout about on Easter Sunday or whatever, but it's a good thing, to, it's a good thing that he got up because our, our, glor, that's how we're, our glorification is secure. His death justified us, but we would have no future glory if, he got a, if Christ is not raised. And guess what? Everything's hopeless, right? There's no hope beyond this life. That's 1 Corinthians 15. That's the whole argument there in 1 Corinthians 15. He lives to keep us saved. His life, His death secured our justification. His life secures our glorification. And the argument that Paul is making is this, is if, 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 he, if he died for your salvation, then wouldn't He live 
to keep you saved as long as you live. It's like this. If you were to empty out your bank account to buy a car and you purchase that car, wouldn't you give your life? Wouldn't you give your all to make sure that car is taken care of? If you spend a lot of money on something, if you sacrifice and give for something, isn't it like automatically precious to you? Isn't it automatically valuable to you? Isn't it automatic? You spend a lot of money on this car. Guess what? You just, you're not going to let just anybody drive it. That's some of y'all with the beaters you drive. You're worried about somebody doing something. But if you had a, you know, a really nice car and you didn't want anybody to mess it up, somebody's like, oh, man, I want to take that for a spin. You're like, nah, I don't think so. You got everything. You sunk everything into this thing. So if you sacrifice to get it, wouldn't you sacrifice to keep it? If you had to give up to get it, don't you think that you would live to take care of it and preserve it? And that's how we can be sure that we're going to be saved in the future. Because if he died to save us from hell, how much more can we be sure that he will live to make sure we make it to heaven? By the way, that's what he's living for. Did you know that? Well, Garrett, I want you to throw up that verse for it. It's Hebrews 7.25. I want you to see this verse. <clears throat> I love this verse. We, talk, we sing about being saved to the uttermost. Here's where that comes from. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Look here. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now, that first part of that verse says that he's able to save them to the uttermost. You know what that word uttermost means? It means perfectly. It means completely. It means all the way. It means to the full extent. It means what we've been saying. God's not going to drop you somewhere. When he saves somebody in justification, he will bring them through sanctification and he will get them across the finish line to glorification. That is what's called being saved to the uttermost. All the way to the fullest extent. He don't get you halfway. He don't get you 99% of the way. He takes you all the way to the end. Now, what is the basis? How can we be assured? What is the assurance that He will save us to the uttermost? He ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now, I know why we're living in this flesh. We're messed up, ain't we? Amen. This, this, you know what's going on right here is one knucklehead preaching to a bunch of other knuckleheads in here. Somebody say amen right there. Amen. I'll say amen. Amen. We all messed up. But the good news is, is we got a friend sitting at the right hand of God. And the whole reason he lives is to keep us in good standing. With the Father. John said, These things I write unto you that you sin not, 1 John 2. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous. Aren't you thankful for that? That we have somebody that is our go between, our interceder, and he ever liveth. Why? Could you lose your salvation? Is it possible to lose your salvation? Well, Jesus would have to stop living first. So if it's possible for Jesus to die again, then yes, it is possible for you to lose your salvation.
but as long as he's... I was reading about... I was reading in Deuteronomy the other day about those uh, cities of refuge. Moses was talking about recounting those cities of refuge. And that, that one that fled to the city, he was safe as long as the high priest was alive. As long as that high priest was living, he was safe and secure. Well, I got good news for you. Our high priest, he already died and he got up never to die again. He told John, he said, Behold, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. How can we be sure we will never lose our salvation? Because he lives. Literally, he lives to make sure that don't happen. And if his death secured our justification. How much more does his life secure our justification? And if he would die for enemies, how much more does that tell you what he thinks of family? You see the much more things that he's given? We can be sure that we'll be saved to the uttermost. And I might I'm just going to touch verse 11 and we're going home because there's too much in here to get. But I thought we'd end with this right here. It says, and not only so, you know what Paul said right there? But wait, there's more. Amen. Let me tell you some more. But we also joy in God. Now that's interesting. We, we talked about joying in verse number two, we rejoice in hope. And then in verse three, we glory in tribulation. It's the same idea there. We, 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 we're, we have joy in our hope. We have joy in our tribulations because ultimately it produces hope. But I like how Paul puts it here. He said, we joy in God, in God, in the person that is God. Knowing this fact, knowing that we are secure, knowing that we are forever settled and secure, and He will carry us across the finish line, Paul said, there's one response to this, and that is joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but these truths, they make me want to joy in God. They make me happy tonight. I'm thankful for them. And I'm not even going to touch that last phrase of verse 11. Whew, man, that's good. That's the, oh, can I give you a little sneak peek, though? He said, by whom we now, talking about Jesus, we now have received, we have now received the atonement. Mm, man, what about that Old Testament word sneaking into the New Testament right there? Amen, that atonement. That's the only time, that's the only time. That, that word is 82 times in your Bible, but that's the only time it's in the New Testament. Mm, there's a reason the Old Testament where it leaked into the New Testament just a little bit. And I'm glad that uh, I'm glad for it. Amen. Aren't you glad you saved? Amen. Amen.